Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Back. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I'm very excited. Okay. A couple of reasons. As of the t- I know it, people won't hear this for almost two full weeks, but it's, it's Cinco de Mayo today. So I've just had some uh, chips and salsa with our guest, mm-hmm. and I'm drinking Mexican beer alone because neither of you two drink. <laughs> um, but that's okay. I am celebrating uh, the... Uh, Mexican victory over the French? I can't remember exactly what Cinco de Mayo is. I, t- I find myself wondering if perhaps maybe there should be a rule that, like, you can't celebrate it unless you know what it is you're celebrating. I used to know. You used to know. Because okay. I, I know people think that it's the Mexican equivalent of Fourth of July, which it's not. That's not, it's oh, not okay. Mexican independence. Okay. But it, it has to do with a military victory, I think. All right. Anyway. And that's weird because you're, uh, you're so, like like virulently anti-military that I, it's interesting <laughs> that you would be celebrating this, but I guess any excuse, right? I'm also, yeah, I'm also very pro Mexican <laughs> um, and pro beer. <laughs> that's yeah. You got that right. Um, so here's the deal. Okay. Just a few days ago, we tried to kill Matt Besser with cat allergies. Yeah. Unsuccessfully. So we thought we'd have another comedian named Matt allergic to cats over to your, your place to see if we can finally finish someone off. Round two. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, you know him from perhaps the Matt's Radio podcast or uh, any of the hilarious stand-up you may have seen uh, live or on the internet. Matt Dwyer is here. Hello. <laughs> I'm shaking my fists for no apparent reason, and you can't <laughs> see it. Besser seems like he would be a cat guy because he's a big pothead. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's got he, he has a dog, but he is... Um, he is more allergic to cats than anyone I've ever seen in my life. He was yeah. here not even five minutes, and his eyes were watering. And he, yeah. and some cats kill me, and some uh, I'm totally fine. But I'm, I have a I have a dog, a very gay esque dog. <laughs> okay, well that's kind of like a cat, right? <laughs> I have a ten pound dog, and I I didn't I wanted a bigger dog, but when you fall in love with something furry, what kind of dog is it? Just some weird mutt thing. Actually, when I got it, it has a beard, and when I first got it, it farted a lot, so I, I kept calling it a mini Kyle Canane. <laughs> Kyle, actually, and they get along. Kyle loves my dog, and he keeps feeding, he'll feed them, like, just, he'll get them, like, to eat beetles, and and then, then my dog farts more, so it's kind of... My cat is very dog-like. He, uh, we were commenting beforehand that uh, David got distracted by a bug, and uh, my cat, if he was not, <laughs> yes, like a mental patient, um... But uh, if my mean like Renfield? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and my cat is in the other room because of uh, your allergies. And normally, uh, Charlie would just uh, your cat's name is Charlie. Yes, my dog's name is Charlie. We'll be best of friends. This yeah. is the best. My dog has crooked legs and fucked up ears too. Uh, so he's like a little Chaplin dog. So I didn't name him, but he he looks a little like Chaplin. My cat's just really fat and with emotional problems from his previous owner. So but did Chaplin go into naming? Your mm-hmm. cat? Was Chaplin the inspiration? Uh, no. Uh, we named him Charlie because... Uh, You're a big uh, McCarthy fan, Charlie McCarthy fan. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdest, well, dumbest enough, reference I ever. I hate Edgar Bergen. <laughs> hate him. <laughs> but, uh, no, but no fl- uh, uh, Flowers for Algernon. Exactly, <coughs> exactly. His name is misspelled. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, it, uh, we originally, because I, don't, I never had a pet before, uh, I didn't know if he was... A boy or a girl, and Jen thought it was a girl, and so we went with uh, the name Charlotte, Charlie for short. Charlotte mm-hmm. is uh, 
uh, Scarlett Johansson from Lost in Translation. And then when we took Charlie to <laughs> Charlie to the vet, um, it's like, oh, it's a boy. All right, well, let's stick with Charlie because uh, I like Citizen Kane, and uh, why not? And it's still named after Scarlett Johansson. You know, yeah, pretty much. Do you know because the, the cat and Charlotte have or Scarlett have about the same acting talent. <laughs> they I both have she, the same range of emotion. Range of emotion. Okay, now range of emotion. I'm on board. Just uh, she's she's good. I didn't mean to take a shot at my future wife. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. No, yeah. I I'll I'll join you. She's uh, she's she's one of those uh, actors like someone who's got a movie opening this weekend. Uh, <laughs> who, who does have very smart? Uh, I'll say in a second. Very smart, seemingly. Seems to pick cool projects or people to work with or just have a general aura of coolness. And so has fooled people into thinking that she's a good actor. Uh, the one who's opening this weekend is Natalie Portman in Thor. Oh, and I yeah. Think neither Scarlett Johansson or Natalie Portman can act, but no one has noticed that because they seem like such cool people. You have not yet seen Black Swan, my favorite movie of last okay. year. I have seen Thor. Oh, you have seen? That's Did right. you, Was your Black Swan your favorite film of last it year? It was. I loved it. I can't get on board with him. With uh, Aronofsky. Aronofsky. I've you tried. Know we were, we're kind of the same way. I enjoyed parts of The Wrestler, but I feel like that's almost in spite of him, though I liked the the scenes of wrestling, which I attribute to him. But like, neither of us are big Requiem for a Dream mm-hmm. fan. I never fans. saw The Fountain. I didn't see The Fountain. I thought I Pi was Pi okay. Oh, I, I didn't th- see The Fountain. Pi, I was, people were like, this is amazing. I was like, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's fine. You know, nothing. I didn't think it was anything remarkable. Yeah, um, and I'd like to wrestler to me was and like i give him credit for like at least he's trying to do something different and mm-hmm. he's a little bit more independent you don't get that a lot these days because i think we just it's all 3d fucking garbage and yeah I, like that drives me crazy i'm like can we please do something that's not something that's already been done mm-hmm. yeah like i mean i we're gonna be remaking our remakes of remakes like in the, if we keep remaking the remakes it's like yeah. absurd to me you've lost me Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, how did we get there? I don't know, but I wanted Aronofsky, to say I had the Natalie same... Portman, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Oh, and talent. Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. And cat. I wanted to say my my cat. It's the opposite story. I thought <laughs> she was a boy when I got her. That's right. And so I named her after a male historical figure, Cardinal Richelieu. I found out when I took her to the vet that she was not a man. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, Cardinal Richelieu was. So I decided, hey, well, hey Richelieu is kind of girly sounding anyway. <laughs> And I looked up Cardinal Richelieu, and he had a sister who was insane and wouldn't get out of bed because she was convinced her, her uh, skin was made of porcelain. Hmm. So I said, my cat's named after that lunatic. That's oh, a pretty okay. good thing to name your cat after. Yeah. yeah. Mine was after uh, that moody chick from uh, Lost in Translation. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's fine. Because that's the thing. You, uh, you named the cat by yourself. I had a, you know, a wife yeah. that uh, contributed to the, to the name. But, uh, the actual Cardinal Richelieu was born on September 9th. Okay. My birthday is September 19th, and for some reason I read it wrong and thought that, oh, I oh, share a birthday right. with Cardinal Richelieu. Man, oh, man. I do share a birthday with Adam West, with Jeremy Irons, mm-hmm. with Twiggy. Oh. Uh, Twiggy's a good one. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember who else. There's, I got Dick Cavett ones. and uh, Jodie Foster. Oh. Anthony Burgess. That's good. And, That's a good one. Uh, the, uh, you know what? My favorite character from Malcolm in the Middle yeah, uh, Reese. Reese? The uh, Justin Burfield who plays him, I share a birthday with him. I wonder what he's up to. I don't know. He was but great, he was on, great on that show. <laughs> did you ever watch that, man? I, you know, I'd never seen a lot of that, but I did read that the, like, the main guy, Malcolm, is it Malcolm? Frankie did Muniz? Didn't he like pop his girlfriend in the face recently? I think I had In Arizona? That, that really? Where nothing good happens? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So, yeah, like, I, I guess he's me. got like a punk band. Right. Really? I was, yeah. He's kind of a little guy. Like even now, he's older, but he's still kind of a small guy. Yeah, small guys can't have punk bands. Well, I just... No, uh, I was kidding. <laughs> I, I just, I feel like, uh, you know, I don't know. Oh, him hitting his girl. Yeah. I'm sure like, she turned around and kicked his ass. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I see what you're saying. That's funny. Feels like there's a story in there. Um, oh, no, I forgot what I was going to I think he threatened to kill her. Yeah, Reese. I'm going to... Uh, I just want to feed into the rumor. He was methed out, <laughs> right. and he threatened to kill her. And then he, I uh, believe it. Uh, crashed his car through a Denny's on the way, like, right. got in the car drunk, drove it through a Denny's front window. And then, of course, he stumbled out saying every manner of racist thing right. uh, that one can imagine. And then he said, King Kong ain't got shit on me. <laughs> <laughs> and passed out. <laughs> and he got shot 17 times right. by Russian gangsters. <laughs> but he lived. That's the crazy thing about it. Um yeah, Reese, that kid was great. The episode where, because Reese is like the antisocial kid, and the episode where he becomes friends with the neighborhood dogs. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, I don't know if you remember this one. He's, I don't think I saw it. He's sneaking out at night and because no one likes him, and he's, so he's friends with all the neighborhood dogs, and he becomes like the alpha dog, like all the dogs turn over and like... That's a Malcolm in the Middle bit, episode? Yeah. That's pretty great. It's awesome. And then there's a one, like, they're having the conversation with Reese. I think he's been spending too much time with the dogs and the mailman comes up to the house and Reese starts going hey hey who are you you don't live here this is our house hey <laughs> hey just essentially barking at the mailman that's uh, pretty great it's, I, it's, a, it's a great episode and a great uh, comedic performance by that kid my favorite uh, my favorite scene with him in it is uh, he had misplaced something and so Malcolm says well retrace your steps so he sort of he doesn't put himself in a trance but you know when you're trying to remember something you look up and you speak aloud what you're thinking and so he retraces his steps all while looking up and just saying what he narrating his actions for the day and there's a moment where he goes you know where he's looking down he sits he's looking up he sits down with his math book and just goes don't get it don't get it don't get it and then he gets up walks to a mirror and goes and points at it and goes i hate you i hate you i hate you it's just it was very very funny and yeah uh, that's awesome that's a solid performance yeah all right that's enough talk about Malcolm in the middle matt dwyer wasn't in any of these things no let's talk about let's talk about matt dwyer and and what and and what you have done and where you have come from and who you are oh my you do so you uh, I know you was a stand-up comic and the and uh, from Matt's radio. Matt's radio. Uh, was how it? did? Where are you from? Where? How did you get your start in comedy? <coughs> I'm glad. Uh, now I have a cold and allergies all at once. It's pretty oh great. I'm, I I got that coughers smokers wheeze without smoking. Uh, I grew up in and around Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started doing comedy when I was 15. And I started taking classes at uh, at the Second City. Mm-hmm. Was uh, in a <laughs> was in a stand-up comedy contest. In high school, for the funniest teen in Chicago, lost to Hal Sparks. Huh. And uh, actually, he and I were so cocky at 18, we thought we should move to L.A. <laughs> and we, we lived in Burbank for... I, he stayed. I was there for six months, and uh, I was totally not prepared to be in L.A. <laughs> at 18. <laughs> but he acclimated pretty easily, it sounds he, like. He, yeah, he did the, that show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what is that show? The gay show. Uh, Queer as Folk. Folk. Yeah. U.S. The U.S. Yeah. version. I don't talk to Pal anymore. Oh. Well, I mean, <laughs> not like we broke up. We just sort of lost. He would call me, though. Like, when he got Talk Soup, he called me out of nowhere. I don't even know how he got my number. And left a message on my home answering machine telling me he got the show <laughs> and to call him. And then I did, and I never heard from him again. 
<laughs> and I was just like, that was the weird. That was just weird. <laughs> and then he would like once in a while he'll make he'd like make a comment on something on Facebook or MySpace. And uh, I would try to write him back, and it wouldn't allow me to write back. I'm like, what game are you playing, Hal Sparks? Why do you got to taunt me with your successes? Well, uh, you get on our Facebook page, Tyler, mm-hmm. and you block Hal Sparks. Yeah. Okay. I expect that. It's unfortunate he and I have been emailing back and uh, you know, constantly for like the last year. He's a big fan. He's going to be heartbroken when I do this. Um, so you're doing... Uh, Second City in Chicago. Um, when did you start doing stand-up? Uh, I did stand-up in high school, and then I, when I got hired by Second City, uh, which was the majority of my 90s, which is why I didn't see... like I Because I worked at Second City most of the 90s, Like I think I've seen three episodes of Seinfeld. Like I uh-huh. just have this huge... Because I was working every night and, mm-hmm. and then blacking out after work. <laughs> so the 90s are kind of a blackout. But, uh, yeah, and then I, I left there in 98 and started doing stand-up again. That's in, like, Bronger and Kyle and I were doing it together. And Yeah, you know, we had um, Kyle Kinane on the show, and he talked about this thing, like, I guess Second City and the improv thing being such a force in Chicago that just the mere act of doing stand-up instead of improv or sketch is, uh, like, an act of rebellion, or, or that's how it felt. It was weird. There was a, there was a weird... Sp- segregation i guess and like improvisers really judge stand-ups and vice versa and i actually started a show that was upstairs from second city in hopes of sort of bridging that and i had it was a experimental stand-up show but i had improvised like a lot of second city people would do it and a lot of stand-ups so i think that kind of changed that Mm -hmm. scene a little bit i Mm -hmm. hope at least my ego tells me it did Hmm. (laughs) is that over on on north north and wells yeah Yeah, uh, the movie theater yeah, and the stage I did was right above the... That was great, too, because we got into that movie theater for free, so I saw awesome. fucking every movie that ever came out. Piper's Alley. Piper's, Piper's Alley. Alley. That's what it's called, right. yeah. I was racking my brain. It's frustrating when you start to forget the things that were important to you. We in, saw Punch Drunk Love there, you and I? We did, We yes. saw The Man Who Wasn't There there. Yeah. I saw Bend It Like Beckham there, alone. <laughs> nah, I saw a lot of movies there alone. I'd bring in a six pack and cheeseburgers. <laughs> that was like my my thing. I saw a screening of Casino there, and sat behind Roger Ebert and his wife, and I was laughing so hard at some of the violence <laughs> that his wife turned around and gave me like the filthiest look. And I was like, Scorsese violence. It's it's always humorous. Yeah, at least and that or I'm completely sick. But yeah, Scorsese that, didn't. We don't re- necessarily have to. It's not. It doesn't have to be an either or. What I'm saying is, Scorsese yeah. didn't didn't rig up the guy's eye popping out of his head in the vice to not make you laugh at it. <laughs> <laughs> I that and the Goodfellas violence is like I I've seen Goodfellas easily a hundred times and I still laugh. Mm-hmm. Well, and Departed, I, the the Departed has a lot of that as well. Just and, yeah. and, But of course, in that you've got Nicholson being absolutely crazy and like shooting someone in the head and then commenting about oh he fell funny yeah. and stuff like. So it, it's a little more overt <laughs> in that one, but. Uh, but yeah, they're. I, I'm not a big fan of Casino. Did you do you enjoy Casino? <laughs> you know, I didn't like it when I first saw it, but I think I kind of, in a weird way, expected like Goodfellas sequel. Mm-hmm. And recently, I've watched it. I've watched it a few times last year because that's <laughs> how my weird life is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch a three-hour movie a few times, but uh, and I actually have a different appreciation for it. I think it's actually I really like it. Okay. I was going to say the same thing, yeah, that it, uh, it, it, the further you are from Goodfellas when you watch it, the more you can appreciate it 
as a different thing. Yeah. Because I remember you and I both, like, weren't big fans of Casino. Yeah, I, I loved it, like, in, uh, I guess, high school or whatever when, it, when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. And then once I became a film student, I didn't like it. Yeah. And now I sort of... Uh, you come back around on it. Yeah, I appreciate it in a different way. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's uh, it's overlong and sort of Baroque, you know? Yeah. Uh, and um, you kind of have to get into that heightened space to enjoy it. It's a little emotionally exhausting to me, <laughs> I'll say that. But uh, I still, well done, still of Sharon Stone's best performance, I think. Yeah, she's re- and of course James Woods. James Woods, yeah, yeah. he's awesome. Have you watched the? There's a the special features, um, and there's a there's a scene you can see Martin Scorsese giving direction to Don Rickles. Oh, really? And he's uh, <laughs> and he's he's telling him, or maybe this is just a story that's told after the fact. And you don't actually see it, but either way, he's telling him like. Uh, you know, when he gets the phone call and he's going to get the gun, you know, and Martin Scorsese's telling him what to do, you know, this is like this terrifying moment, you gotta get the gun, and Martin Scorsese's smiling the whole time, and Don Rickles just <laughs> interrupts him. He's like, What are you smiling for, you sick fuck? Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, that's delightful. <laughs> I hope that's true. <laughs> and that's, uh, speaking of like half funny, half shocking violence, the part where the guy hits Don Rickles over the head, like beats him over the head with the phone. Yeah. Is a, it's a little funny as well. It's as, pretty as, funny. Like he makes kind of a funny sound when he gets <laughs> cracked over the head, but it's also kind of disturbing. What, what do you think of the King of Comedy? I don't know. I've actually never seen it. Oh, we I, talked about I it at length it. with uh, Pat Healy when he was on. Yeah, I actually saw it uh, relatively recently, and uh, I absolutely loved it. Like I thought it was amazing. It's 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 amazing in a lot of ways, and it's like because it's it's like such a step outside of what Scorsese was doing around then, and then like. De Niro is always such a... He plays that guy so fucking well. Better than you would expect from De Niro, because De Niro is somebody who exudes confidence. Yeah. And that guy is is someone who desperately wants confidence. It's not the same thing, though, of course. And he's just... It's so awkward. (laughs) And, like, being in a comedy scene of, like, just... Like, I've known so many guys that... And he... That weird needy like energy he grabs onto because it's it's like so real and it's one of those things like you know when you you look back and you you see like um like oscar like big oscar mistakes and like that's a film that very well could have like it could have and i would say should have been nominated for four oscars uh screenplay Actor, supporting actor, and supporting actress. Because Sandra Bernhardt is amazing. She is great in that. Jerry Lewis is, uh, the, like, because in the, though the movie is disturbing, it's also incredibly funny. And the scene where Jerry Lewis is on the phone and uh, Robert De Niro is holding the cards for him to say. And, uh, like, one of them's <laughs> blank. And he's like, and just, he's just, there's nothing on that one. He's pr- yeah. You got that one upside down, and just <laughs> it's so deadpan and so wonderful. That's There's a, a great movie. Really weird scene in it, and it took me like five times to watch. when he's when De Niro's at the restaurant with the the, the woman he's courting, mm-hmm. and he's like doing the whole like talking about the autograph or yeah. like sloppier the name. In the background, I don't know if you notice this. The, there's a guy who's like over her shoulder, yeah, or his shoulder, and he's kind of like mimic mimicking De Niro. Yeah, it's Maury the wig man from Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> It's totally and it like I was like I had to go back and watch it like two times. I was like, what the fuck is Maury doing? It's the weirdest thing. He shows up in all of the films. Little known fact. I, that's not <laughs> yeah. true. It's like He's Sam Raimi's car. Uh, <laughs> really? Does Sam there, Raimi have his car in there? I don't think he does. I don't know if he does anymore. But <laughs> he, there was there's a car that's in every one of his movies 
except for the quick and the dead because it wouldn't mm. make sense. Right. Um, huh. That's I, weird. That's, yeah. But that's awesome. I love weird stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I haven't seen the King of Comedy, but uh, like, it's a shame that, I mean, and since Jackie Brown, has there been a role that Robert De Niro has played that has made you go, oh, that that's an interesting choice for him. <laughs> like for, for De Niro? Yeah, like it seems like he just plays... He just, he just plays characters now that uh, he can easily fit the Robert De Niro thing into. The well, whereas the Jackie watch- Brown character is really... I mean, it's a tough guy, but he's, like, so quiet. And mm-hmm. Yeah, and kind of dumb. And, like, yeah. I, you know, and playing dumb is hard to do, especially when you are an actor that people, I think, associate with intelligence and cunning and that sort of yeah. thing. Um, and the thing is, like, I would say analyze this, but... Since he's been doing, like, primarily, I'll put quotes around comedies, um, since, since then, <laughs> um, I think I think now people look at Analyze This and it doesn't seem like a big deal. But at the time, him doing, like, self-parody and committing to the emotion while also playing the humor, like, I, I appreciated that and I thought he did a really great job at it. But, of course, since then, he's just become kind of a self-parody in general, which is not fun, not fun to say, but... Yeah, but yeah. But as far like as like a risk, <coughs> you and you and me, like, you know, grew up watching the '90s Robert De Niro, Goodfellas, and Casino, and mm. Heat, and and these kind of things. And when we, I think you and I saw Mean Streets together for the first time, mm-hmm. and we were both blown away, like that. Yeah, Robert De Niro was playing the Joe Pesci part, like the crazy loose cannon right. part. Yeah, uh, it's not. It's it was. It's a breath of fresh air to realize this guy was. Uh, had a lot more range than he's allowed himself to express, I think. You know, I'll bring up actually another 97 movie. Um, he was really great in Wag the Dog. He was. And yeah. he was, and what's more is he like really anchored that film because mm-hmm. he's in the midst of like Dennis Leary and Anne Heche and Willie Nelson and Dustin Hoffman, of course, and just people being just crazy. And he has to kind of stay the course and be the straight man while also he's got some fun little one-liners and he's very tweedy you know he's got like the bow tie and the beard and uh-huh. and he and he has to not necessarily seem he has to seem very sly while not seeming like uh some kind of cartoon character and i think that's 97 was a good year for him i think <laughs> what year was because uh, i just watched uh uh this boy's life which is actually that's 93 i think 94 yeah that's so I, right around he's there, off, yeah. that's another like creepy but yeah. Yeah. yeah such an off nerdy character it's pretty it's it's very strange that like uh, cuz when i think of 70s and 80s de niro or you know like scorsese de niro i guess is the way to look at it um i think of like a guy who has so much edge that it's it's almost uncomfortable to watch him like you see Travis Bickle you see Rupert Pupkin it's you see true. uh Jake LaMotta and you're just like i'm I I can't relax watching this guy what? and his willingness to be that I thought was like really admirable. He was more um untethered then. Like I feel like his performances now are so like he seems reined t- in and Yeah, cuz he seems almost just like uh right. <laughs> yeah. Like, All right, let's do this. I I I think if if Raging Bull De Niro met meet the parents De Niro, he'd kick his ass. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, he would murder him. Yeah, I feel like Robert De Niro and Harrison Ford have both become somnambulant. I think just Harrison Ford just stoned to the bejesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you seen Righteous Kill? No. No. It's so bad, <laughs> it's riveting. <laughs> I'm not, I couldn't, 
I'd almost, I was like, I'll watch that again. It's so fucking bad. Can I swear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I have the worst mouth. But it's, I mean, it's like De Niro's reading. <laughs> That's the performance. Same, and Pacino, it's just like, it's, un, and then like De Niro's like a thousand, and he beats up <laughs> 50 Cent at one point, and you're just like, really? <laughs> like, that guy's a rock solid dude. Like, I don't think so. Uh, have you seen, speaking of Harrison Ford, have you seen Hollywood Homicide with him and Josh Hartnett? <laughs> no, but I'm going to when I get home. Yeah, the, literally, like, the last, at least, like, half an hour of that movie is a is a foot chase, like, through the streets, through buildings and stuff, and it's like... Escalators. Yeah, and it's 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 the same thing. Like, I don't I don't believe that Harrison Ford could keep up with Josh Hartnett in a foot race or whoever it is they're chasing. You know what I did see with Harrison Ford? I saw, or I didn't see it with him. He was in the film, and I went and saw it. <laughs> Uh, was uh, Morning Glory, uh-huh. which uh, is a good movie. I wouldn't say it's great, but it's a good movie, and he's very good in it uh, because he doesn't have to be an action star. He plays a guy, I'm going to say, a lot like Harrison Ford himself. <laughs> Grumpy, not too thrilled to be doing whatever it is he's doing or whatever he's asked to be doing. And um, and so I feel like if he's pl- if he plays into that, uh, I think he can be very good, which is one of the reasons I'm excited about uh, Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah, um, because just kind of the world weary sheriff, or he's a sheriff, right? No, I don't. Uh, he's or like is he an the, outlaw? Um, I'm trying to think of a of a. He's not an outlaw. He's um, like Jeremy Irons in Appaloosa. He's okay, like, so like a rancher, like, like, a ran- big, like the big, like okay. That's my understanding. He's supposed to be sort of the the rich guy who owns the ranch. Okay, outside of town. Do you see everything? Are you those guys who like see everything that goes out? Uh, goes out, not, comes out. not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I, I'm, I'm more and more. Just because you saw Morning Glory, that, that was kind of. <laughs> I like, am a married man. <laughs> um, if that says anything, it, it does. So, but again, I wanted to see the movie. I had heard good things, and I wound up enjoying it quite a bit. It's all. It's also one of the only movies that I can stand Diane Keaton in. Really? She, she yeah. hasn't been good in a while, I feel. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant, like, I thought you were going to diss 70s Diane Keaton. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. Any I mean, lately. Godfather, yeah, yeah. great. But, I mean, look at, like, Hanging Up. Uh, because I Said So. Did you ever see that? No, I that didn't. That is one of the terrible. worst movies. Yeah. I imagine, what, though, there's not a lot of parts coming down her, yeah. coming her way. Yeah. Well, and then people herald something's got to give. Like, it's, oh, here's a part for a mature woman. It's a stupid movie. I think it's I think it's an okay Here's the thing. I think it's an okay movie, but I think I think that because there've been so many subpar right. films yeah. along the same Compared lines. Compared to other movies about middle-aged people. Oh yeah. It's not bad, but it is a, it's a pretty no. stupid movie. But that's the thing is her in Morning Glory, again, much like Harrison Ford, it's the type of role that she was meant for. There's a bit of an edge. She's not like the silly ditzy, she's like selfish and and can but her her uh, her character's on-screen persona is ditzy and upbeat and stuff uh-huh. and so like she plays into that and anytime somebody who at this point has a certain image and can capitalize on that while also sort of commenting on that i think that's always a good thing and that's what you get a lot with uh, in morning glory now i mentioned because i said so and this leads me into something because you were you were sick recently you you were home sick i imagine I imagine let's spend a lot of time on the couch. <laughs> and I have a tendency I have a studio, so it's the bed. <laughs> My bed and the couch are the same thing. Um, I have a tendency whenever I'm homesick, home from work or whatever, to just watch whatever's on HBO. And when I was in, when what's on HBO in the middle of the day, that's how I saw because I said so. Mm. 
and it's usually really terrible stuff. And that's when I see my really terrible movies. Did you watch? Did you watch w- terrible movies when you were sick, or did you? I watched a lot of foreign films actually. Ah, nice. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, I watched Dogtooth, which was astounding. Which I still haven't seen. I've heard I that is batshit crazy. It's really amazing. It, like, the, that's, the, the director I, has promised his next film is even more out there. Oh, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> he's, he's promised to. I don't know how himself. that's. It's pretty. It's pretty interesting. It's one of those films that says a lot without beating you over the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then chase, uh, closely watched Trains, uh, which I really. I those, saw that just not that long ago as well. On the instant. Uh, I, I, got I don't the, even I actually have, got the DVD. But I don't yeah. even have cable. I just get everything off the internet now. Yeah, I, and Netflix. But yeah, I don't yeah. have HBO or like Comedy Central, any of that stuff. Like I pretty much have my uh, my little Roku box, and that uh, gets me anything I want. Now, yeah, we, we've done. I know we've done an episode. You and I, um, you know, we don't have a comedian on. We just pick a topic. We did. We done an episode on. Uh, Indie directors who've gone Hollywood. Have we done a director an episode on foreign directors who've gone Hollywood? Uh, I don't think the episode's available anymore. Oh, we did it early on, so yeah. it's probably not very good. Because we should like Milos Forman and um, well, Yuri Manzel, who do closely watch trains, has stayed in Czechoslovakia. and made a film in 2007 called "I Serve the King of England," which is great. And you should, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it; it's, re- it's really good. Um, <laughs> but both Yuri Manzel's films and Milos Forman's early films have a lot of uh, similarities in that they're Essentially, like sex comedies, <laughs> you know. Uh, I don't know if you've seen like uh, the the Fireman's Ball. Have you seen that one? I haven't. Or uh, Loves of a Blonde. I, I actually, that's uh, number one in my queue to get sent to me. So. Which one, Loves <laughs> of a Blonde? Yeah, it's very good. Fireman's Ball is even better, I think. Um, they're both very good, and I just wonder why, like, Milos Forman came over here and made like, I don't know. I mean, Amadeus and One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest are great, but like, mm-hmm. what changed in him? Like, go. What's that? I think Doe. Yeah. It, it, like, he just decided, like, now I'm a prestige director? I think that's that's actually a big a big thing is studios, because, you know, he had two Oscars to, to his name. I think studios are like, all right, if we get him to direct something, like People vs. Larry Flint, Man on the Moon, if we get him to do that, then that's Oscar. It's instantly, right. you know, an Oscar contender. and uh, And so suddenly... You know, every year there's a. I mean, we were talking about it before we started recording movies like, like uh, the King's Speech, which I enjoyed. Um, but like, it's kind of an Oscar type movie, and this guy is an Oscar director, whether he likes it or not. And so, he gets plugged into movies that probably the studio realized they didn't have to try that hard on, in order to get a certain degree of, pre- of as you said, prestige. It, it's a shame because Fireman's Ball, for those who don't know. Is essentially a feature-length movie about creepy old men trying to get young girls to take their clothes off for them. <laughs> <laughs> That's my life, <laughs> <laughs> and it's 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 hilarious and not at all like prestige. And because mm-hmm. of that, it ends up being a better movie than most of the stuff that he's he's made here. I mean, I like mm. you know I mentioned Amadeus and, and Cuckoo's Nest, and I, I liked uh, Man on the Moon, mm-hmm. but it's certainly better than. It's a shame he made People vs. Larry Flint, which should have some of that same early like uh, hedonism that his that his films had, and yet People vs. Larry Flint is a pretty awful movie. In I can't opinion. even remember it. I mean, I saw it in the theater. I think I was just more distracted by actually seeing Courtney Love naked. <laughs> I, I, that like is the only thing I remember. Not because she's attractive. I just mm-hmm. she's I can't stand her. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I would. I mean, I would assume it's like uh, indie movies. There is no money. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Like I, I've discovered recently that like an indie script, you the writer gets five percent of whatever the budget is. That's how that, mm-hmm. and that, if you're talking under five hundred thousand dollars, yeah, which is a in a lot of in at least in the old indie world that was a lot of dough. Like. That's nothing. Well, as far as true indie, of course, yeah. I mean, there's (laughs) stuff that is called indie, but it still has a surprising, uh, surprisingly high budget from a studio. Yeah, that's yeah. When it like uh, when Juno came out, like Fatem was like, he's like, that's not an indie movie. He's like, those are millionaires. Everyone in that movie is a millionaire except for what's her fuck, (laughs) (laughs) who I met once, and like she's the tiniest person on the earth. Like I, I didn't even recognize her. Yeah. I thought she was a 14-year-old, so mm-hmm. I hit on her. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> she was very nice, but I just, it, like, I was talking to her, and it took, like, three minutes where I was like, oh, I'm talking to a celebrity. <laughs> so she did not come, come across as if she were a No, she was really just, like, That's nice. she jumped in and made some kind of joke about the food I was eating, and I went back and forth, and then I was, then I got uncomfortable because she's better than me because she's famous. Right. That's how that works. And Oscar nominated. And Oscar. Do you have an Oscar nom- nomination? I don't think so, but I did think about legally chasing my, uh, changing my name to uh, Oscar nominated Matt Dwyer <laughs> <laughs> or Oscar winner Matt Dwyer. Um, I think that'd be great if everywhere I got introduced, that's how it, you had to introduce me that way. It'd be pretty sweet. Uh, my, uh, I remember once thinking that uh, the best possible way to murder somebody is to hit them over the head with an Oscar because no one's ever going to say, clearly, this is the work of an Oscar. <laughs> and uh, so you're in the clear. <laughs> I've always wondered, like, what has happened with people's Oscars. Like, I mean, like, Jack Nicholson is a pretty freaky dude who's probably done a lot of drugs. (laughs) Those Oscars have probably ended up in some weird places. Uh, I'm trying. It's like the Stanley Cup. Like, people have. I mean, like, as, you know, in people's bodies. Yeah. Maybe even his own. Yeah. I could see that. I'm sure there's an Oscar has been in some human being at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, did you see Whoopi Goldberg's Oscar when she held it out on the I've seen it in her. (laughs) Not to to one-up you. (laughs) Um, But I don't remember this. There was some story about um, in the, I want to say New York Times, I can't remember. There was a story in a newspaper about uh, uh, black Oscar winners, and Whoopi Goldberg wasn't mentioned, and she was upset by that and so she brought out her oscar on the view and she has clearly not taken care of it like it was <laughs> it, like it was like worn silver on the hip like what is it what are you doing with this thing why in that space it's very unusual yeah they were going to mention her oscar and then they rewatched a color purple and decided not to <laughs> wait is that what she won for i no or she won it? for ghost oh that's even she worse. did yeah supporting actress you sure not burglar well, I'm not With sure Bobcat Goldthwait? <laughs> what was uh, Eddie? That, that was her <sighs> her biggest Oscar push. That's where she took over co- coaching the New York Knicks. Here's the thing. Is that right? Really? Uh, Ghost? Yeah. i never seen that. It's not very good. I, you, know, yeah. you guys keep Tony throwing Goldwyn's out... Tony Goldwyn's great in it. You keep throwing out Who titles, is? but to Tony me... Tony Goldwyn? You know who he is? He's the name. bad guy in Ghost. i never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> He was also the bad guy in The Sixth Day. Did you see that one? With Schwarzenegger and Robert yeah. No. No. He's been in a lot of stuff, and we're only able to think I know of the I totally know the cuffs. name. <laughs> What's that? I, I know the name. He's he's directed, too. Yeah. Um, but I also can't. He was the voice of Tarzan in Disney's Tarzan. Okay, that guy. There we go. Um, Is it Chris Sarandon, the actor? Yeah, yeah. from Child's Play? 
Well, because I just watched uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, yeah, oh, he's too. great. He's amazing we, in that. We all watched that within the last yeah. couple months, it Me for like. the first time. I only saw it for the first time did, a month oh. or two ago. Did you see the John Cazale documentary? No, no. I didn't. I still My want friend to. and friend of the show, uh, Frank Feel My Wrath McGrath, uh, <laughs> was an assistant editor on that movie. Really? Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Like, there's, like, people pointing out, like, just all these little subtle things that he does, and you're just like... You're like, oh yeah, that guy is like beyond amazing. Yeah. yeah, and it's and I believe he. I don't think he was he nominated for Godfather Part Two. I don't I think he. No I don't think he was ever nominated I, for an Oscar. Yeah, and I feel like that's that is something that has always fascinated me. Fascinated me because I always thought that he was sort of the. I wouldn't say the soul of those movies, but like he always played a very significant role in that, like. In a, in this world of strong people, like characters yeah. who are willing to go all the way, what happens if you just don't have it in you? What happens if you are weak, and but you can't be discarded? Like and that and to me, like Fredo, and and John Cazale's just his willingness to just go out and be as pitiful and pathetic and seemingly contemptible. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I respect that a great deal. And of course, Dog Day Afternoon, he plays a character who's kind of, kind of pathetic, and you don't really like him. And you know, like, I don't know who's going to die in this movie except this guy. Like, <laughs> spoilers. There's an amazing thing that you know the scene where he says, when uh, Pacino asks him, like, where, where, where do you want to go in the world? We can mm-hmm. go anywhere. And he says, Wyoming. Yeah. Uh-huh. He improvised that, huh. mm-hmm. which is to me is just like so. I guess Pacino almost lost it, yeah. which I was like, I mean, every time I see that, I crack up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, uh, I think we actually, when we talked about it, I can't remember what our topic was, mm-hmm. but we talked about how funny Dog Day Afternoon is. And uh, it's one of those movies, like the aforementioned Goodfellas, that doesn't get enough credit for being funny. Yeah, I mean, it's because it's just viewed as, well, it's a, you know, I mean, there's dramatic things going on and it ends dramatically. So why would you, you know, so... It is not viewed as a comedy, where in fact, uh, whereas in fact, like most dramas, especially I'd say in the seventies, um, always had an element of of humor to them, mm-hmm. and I think that's what made them real. Him, him For- chanting Attica—that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Raging Bull has some hilarious moments. Oh. Yeah. When he walks in, when he's giving a tour of his apartment mm-hmm. to uh, uh, what's her name? But uh, his Kathleen Turner. Ca- yes, no, Kath. The Moriarty? Moriarty. Kathy yeah. Moriarty, right. But he's like, Sorry. there's the birdcage, and it's like empty. He's like, there's a bird. Well, it was a bird. It's dead now. It's just like <laughs> yeah. this thrown away line, and it's hilarious. It gets me every time. And isn't uh, there a scene where something ter- like he is about to come in and beat the hell out of his brother, but we are allowed maybe three lines of his brother interacting with his family. I was about to bring up the same before, scene. Before he comes charging in. And I believe Joe Pesci says, because like, his, his son or, or whatever <coughs> keeps like putting his hands in the food. Yeah. He's like, do you know the lines I can't specifically? Remember. He said, I'm going to stab you. <laughs> yeah. Just like, He's I will a... stab you with this fork yeah. in your face right. or something like that. It's so great. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, uh, um, Larry Miller did the exact same thing in an actual comedy in Best in Show. Yeah. When he's threatening his kid and he's like, I'll put my thumb through your eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stab you with forks till you bleed. <laughs> Have you seen like another weird moment that I love? Have you seen Public Greenwich Village recently? Kind of doesn't. There's moments of it that it's like so 80s that it's like, blah. No. But Eric Roberts is so awesome. Hmm. And there's a scene where he gets his thumb cut off and he comes over to 
to uh, to uh, Mickey Rourke's apartment and is just like for like minutes it's like they cut off my thumb and then out of nowhere he just turns and notices that the apartment's been ruined he's like what happened like it just, <laughs> he drops the whole it's like what he was as what who said it about him like he was so creepy he like in star 80 that it he like creeped his way out of hollywood <laughs> yeah i believe it uh, he, he seems um like he was on like adam crowley's podcast a while ago and he seems almost like delusional now like he doesn't He's pretty he doesn't realize to, that all the like direct to like cable or direct to DVD movies that he's been making haven't been seen by everyone, and he talks like he's still a huge name in Hollywood. And it's mm. kind of it's kind of what he was he in something huge recently though. Dark the Dark Knight. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There you go. And he was good in that. I, I'm not saying he's not a. Good oh yeah. Actor. He's good. Yeah. Well, I think you know m- most actors are pretty out to lunch. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm going out on a ledge there, guys. <laughs> really. So what? Um, uh, we haven't really had a topic at all. But what? Uh, what do you name among your favorite movies, Matt? That's that's a really hard question. My girlfriend's favorite movie, oddly, and this is probably why I keep her around, is uh, "Bring Me the Head of Fredo Garcia." Oh, oh that's a good one. Which is pretty. Am- like I was like, "You're a chick," and that's like I was like, "Wow, you're awesome." <laughs> but uh, I'm a huge Woody Allen fan. Uh, I'd say Stardust Memories might be my favorite movie by him. Hmm. Which is odd. I actually only saw that maybe like a year ago for the first time, and I was so actively not a fan of it, um, partially because I, I think I found myself uh, falling into the camp that, uh, as it turns out, has existed for decades now of, like, I, I feel like he might have, like, a total contempt for his audience or... For anybody who isn't him and him, and <laughs> and it, and I don't know that movie just the way like he portrayed people who were his fans and weren't. Uh, I I just had a problem with it, but I I find uh, there are movies that I feel like maybe I need to revisit and just kind of remove myself from it a little <coughs> bit. I wasn't crazy about it the first time I saw it, and then I watched it maybe two years ago. And I'm not kidding; I watch it every day for about three months. That, uh, I, there, I don't know. There's something about that movie, I guess. And I hear what you're saying. And you would break but I think it up it's with more of like, Screenings of Casino. It's not a contempt. <laughs> what? Nothing, oh, I'm yes. sorry. Go on. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think it's as like contempt for his fans as much as it is as I think the. And maybe a lot of people can't relate to this. I know I can't, but it's like fame becomes such a weird. Like people become so needy and grow. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen friends of mine get famous, and that. Watching it, I'm like, ooh, this looks awful. Yeah. Like, other this than you don't have farts. to wait in line, it all seems pretty awful. Yeah. Oh, and the money and right. ladies. But other than that. Well, Stardust Memories, have, we've been talking about um, these sort of darkly dark or violent things that are hilarious. And this is, I guess, a visual gag. The fact that he has a giant poster of that famous picture of the guy getting shot in the head in uh, Ho Chi Minh which I think is a very it's very (coughs) funny to me that he has that as as awful an image as it is it's like what it says about how pretentious the character is is very funny to me I agree and I think like there's just interesting uh, I don't know there's just a lot of interesting devices in there that I really enjoy yeah I mean it's definitely it's definitely well made and I I actually kind of respect it I think I, I may need to revisit it but that is it, it it's interesting. Um, I uh, on my other podcast I did a super long episode about Woody Allen and um, 
and I I don't know as as a as a director because I at the same night that I watched Stardust Memories I also watched Manhattan for the first time, and I found myself just kind of frustrated by Woody Allen as a filmmaker and how he and the the relationship he has to human emotions and almost that he he seems to be uncomfortable with them himself and so he almost seems to distance himself from it by stand you know as character as like a husband and wife are fighting and possibly getting a divorce or something he will stand outside of it often as a character and as a filmmaker and kind of point and say like isn't this ridiculous and and I like I was reminded of uh like a, a teacher that I had in high school who was privy to like all the all the relationship drama of of like the students in the theater department and his attitude was always like it was like ah these kids like if only they realize like this doesn't matter and it always bothered me because it's just like well I realize that as you get older it maybe doesn't matter but it matters a lot to them now so maybe you don't need to be so condescending <laughs> like you don't have to be uh, outside it, there's nothing wrong with these people feeling these things. But that I don't know. That might but be. I think that's but I still va- laugh. You I think know? that's a valid voice as an artist. Mm-hmm. To like, not every artist has to be John Cassavetes and has to actually feel it with the camera and yeah. with the aesthetics. Sometimes an artist is supposed to stand outside and show it to you, so you can you can take in more of it at once and 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 judge this view of human nature mm-hmm. uh, from a more reserved and distant place as opposed to being caught up in it. Which doesn't bother me because, as you know, I'm a big fan of Robert Altman, and, and he's he's always at a distance, mm-hmm. even when he's really close up. I don't mean to brag, but I went to Robert Altman's memorial service in New York. Really? really? Yeah, I was dating a girl at the time who uh, her father had been in some of his movies, and I guess she knew him, hmm. and uh, I was e- excessively hungover. <laughs> Because <laughs> she had a, she was a Broadway lady. Mm. She had a show open the night before, and then like we woke up late. And she's like, "We got to go to this thing." I was like, "What?" <laughs> and I literally, she was like, "We got to go to and Altman's memorial." I was like, and I literally was like, "Can I stay home?" <laughs> and she was like, "No." I like I and then uh, we went. It was at some big theater. You, you don't want to go stag to Robert Altman's right. memorial. <laughs> <laughs> But social event. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I... And then we went... With the, the memorial service was in a big fucking theater joint. And then there was a private party afterwards at... Or whatever. Not a party. <laughs> at Elaine's. <laughs> the, the after party. Which is in the opening of mm-hmm. Manhattan, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh... And I, I remember sitting there and, like, there was... Lauren Bacall was there. Steve Buscemi. Tim Robbins. Uh, I can't even think of his name from, and I should kill myself for this, Harold and Maude. Like, it was uh, a Bud, sea. Bud Court. Court. Bud Court, Lily Tom. Like, it was a sea of people I idolized since I was a child. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, on paper, this sounds amazing. Inside, I was so panicked, I couldn't speak. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was just frozen. Uh-huh. But I still guess, sound, it is was amazing. Because everything about that situation is, well, I can't go and fawn over this celebrity at a funeral. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Be like, yeah, yeah, it's really sad. We really lost a master. You know what I'm a big fan of? I love Ghost World, you know? Yeah. There was, there was the, this chick was far too hip for to be dating me, but there was mm. one night where we were at a table with, it was uh, Mike Nichols, Maureen Dowd, and uh, Tom Stoppard. Wow. And afterwards, she was like, you were really quiet. And I was like, 
what am I going to do? Tell my masturbating suicide <laughs> joke to fucking Mike Nichols? Like, you're in the presence of those people. If you're smart, you shut up and listen. Because uh-huh. I'm never going to get to hear those three people have a conversation after you break up with me. <laughs> Which was about two weeks later. <laughs> um yeah, I, I I sometimes feel like that when we have someone on the show that I've admired for a long time is I will I will try to this is dumb. I will try to assert that like this is my show. I am an equal. Behold this thing I'm about to say. And then I say I'm like, "Ugh, I hate myself. <laughs> just shut up and let this person. People hear me all the time. Just let this person talk." It's I think it's weird. I I don't know. I I if even if I win an Oscar, not that it not and it won't be for acting. I'll tell you that right now. But like <laughs> I, I will always feel that way. I will always feel like some big f- fraud. And I kind of, some of my friends, kind like, I don't know anybody who is like, yep, I deserve this. <laughs> I deserve to be here. And if you did, then you're, you know, you're, those, Keanu Reeves probably thinks that. <laughs> but, uh, just uh, recently on um, uh, front of the show, Jason Nash's podcast, Guys With Feelings, Paul Shear. Uh, very funny, you know, been in a lot of movies, did mm-hmm. Human Giant, was telling a story about meeting Robert De Niro and being very nervous. And I, it, it, it called into question, like, at what point are you at the level? Like, obviously, Robert De Niro, or Robert, De Niro, Robert Downey Jr., did I say De Niro or Downey, Robert Downey Jr.? You said De Niro. You said De Niro. Okay, that's probably because we were talking about him earlier. I meant Robert Downey Jr., but either way, RDJ is clearly <laughs> far more famous than Paul Shear. but mm-hmm. at what point, when do you get to the point? Where you're, I think, uh, it has or is it always just a? Is there always a hierarchy and pissing well, contest? I and think there's a. I mean, too, you're always, you're always a fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really love what you're doing, I right. don't. You do it because you're a fan and you want to. You're striving for something. I think the real honest people, which are rare these days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think you always feel that way. Like you're always going to admire somebody or find somebody that you're like, oh man, you're awesome. Especially, I think if it's if it's somebody that. Like was famous and doing work you admired when you weren't doing anything. Like you will always right. see them as this. The fra- all the phrasing I can think of is competitive, but that's not what I mean. Where it's like they're ahead of me, or they're they're always going to be above me because they started first or whatever. And so, like the people that you like to me, people that we've had on the show, like it was there was no bigger deal than when we had Maurice Lamarche on the show, and. Very few people actually know who that is, but I know who it is, and it was from my childhood. So this is—it's not merely someone that uh, that is more famous than I am, which is almost everybody. Um, but like, it's it's this guy that shaped who I am as a. For as anyone who doesn't know, including possibly Matt, Maurice Lamarche has done a voice on any cartoon you've ever watched, essentially. Pretty much. But uh, probably best known as The Brain from Pinky and the Brain. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah, yeah yes. Yeah. And he was Egon on the real Ghostbusters, which I actually didn't even realize until he was on the show. And he's the voice of Orf- Orson Welles in Ed Wood. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And he was, he was, he was like, phys- physically played by Vincent D'Onofrio, but the voice was Bruce mm-hmm. Marsh. I didn't know that was D'Onofrio. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you brought I don't know up why Ken- we both said, like, yeah, Asshole, get out of my house. <laughs> if you don't realize that, uh, I think you, you have a problem. I, I, and I used to own Ed Wood. Uh-huh. I've seen it a million times. I'm an idiot. <laughs> That's all right. You brought up Cassavetes, which... Uh-huh. What, do you, what do you two... Look who's turned the table and is asking the questions. <laughs> Watch out. I think... Uh, I mean, Tyler has been on board with Cassavetes as long as I've known him, pretty much. I love Cassavetes. I've come around on him. I mean, 
no, I never disliked Cassavetes, but um, I had trouble with it, with really getting into it early on. Um, well, he's not easy to get into. His, I mean, his movies can be intentionally unpleasant to watch. I think <laughs> can be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of Mumblecore? I which uh, I hate that title. As uh, yeah. I don't even know what that means. I have. Uh, I I don't think it means anything. I don't think it actually exists. I think it's sort of like uh, I don't know. If you were listening to uh, to music like Portishead and stuff and M- Massive Attack in the nineties, I knew you were going <coughs> to bring up trip hop. You yeah, you hear this term trip hop, and to me, trip hop doesn't actually mean anything. It was an externally applied name to try and corral a a series of things that were happening at the same time into one space. And that's what Mumblecore is to me. I don't think it's an actual movement. I don't think it's it's asserting itself as being a revolution in cinema. It's just like some critics noticed like, oh, there's a group of filmmakers that are kind of similar or taking a somewhat similar approach. Let's corral them all together. So I don't think I don't think I can have an opinion on Mumblecore because I don't think it exists. Do you think that that corralling is in part perhaps that in my opinion I feel like we're in dire need of something to change in film. <laughs> and, right. like, I think people... Like, anytime there's, like, a, a certain, like, an indie movie where people are like, oh, that's great. And it's, to me, I'm always like, eh, not really. Like, I think people are so hungry for something different and original that they'll mm-hmm. attach to anything. And I feel... I'm, one, I'm asking, I guess, more, like, do you feel like that corralling is somebody maybe trying to push or just, like... I'm trying to that say, we're desperate like, look, for, something new is happening. Yeah, because yeah, it's like... I, film, in my opinion, right now is in a really bad like i'm like i get angry uh-huh i used to read that nikki fink thing i can't yeah. i could I, yeah i'm like i gotta i gotta i can never look at this again i can't read her she was like every day she was talking about the three stooges movie and i'm like fuck off like yeah. we don't need this <laughs> we don't need this we don't need any more 3d like stop scorsese's making a 3d movie yeah. or did yeah hugo hugo cabre i'm sure he'll called? do it well I'm gonna try and see if Hitchcock did a 3D. 3D movie. I don't know if it's. Is out. he really doing that? It's already, It's in theaters now. It's it a, is. It's a documentary. Oh. Mm-hmm. Where he went into uh, this cave called Chauvet. It's somewhere in France. Oh yeah. The literally the <coughs> oldest cave paintings in in the world that anyone has ever discovered in the world, mm-hmm. and very few people people are allowed in there who aren't like scientists. But they gave him access, and he went and shot it in 3D and made a documentary about these cave paintings in 3D. So. Hopefully by the time we record another episode, I'll have seen that. But there's a review up on the website. There is, yes. Uh, one of our writers wrote. And, and at this point, it has been up for a while. Yeah. But, uh-huh. um, but yeah, and like to, sp- to speak to uh, 3D, the thing that always bothers me is that, because I've seen it, I haven't seen very many. I saw Avatar. I've seen Nomeo and Juliet. It was a screening. And I saw, <laughs> t- and I saw Tangled uh, voluntarily, and that movie's awesome, by the way. I really enjoy it. Uh, awesome might be much. It's very good. But, um but with the exception of Avatar, like the other ones, like the 3D just felt like such an afterthought. Avatar. It literally is an afterthought in some well, of those yeah. cases where, like, um, you know, uh, Clash of the Titans or The Last Airbender, where they said, mm-hmm. oh, 3D made Avatar a lot of money. Let's rush these through pro- post conversion. Yeah. They weren't shot intending for 3D. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I saw Thor just this week, which um, was not shot with 3D intended, I don't think, mm-hmm. but because of. <coughs> Kenneth Branagh's style actually lent itself somewhat well to it. Well, because he's a real I, filmmaker. Again, I don't think it's... No, it's not about that. It's about what works for 3D in terms of of framing and depth of field and stuff like that. And the sort of, like, Michael Bay approach to 
jittery camera and lots mm-hmm. of cuts doesn't work well for conversions. Whereas Kenneth Branagh, who's a more classical and in some ways even camp filmmaker, yeah. uh, and, and Thor, which is a more good movie than bad. I give it a solid B, maybe B minus. Um, has a lot of camp to it, but in a good way. But it, it, it looks good in 3D. But I still, yeah, I, I agree 3D is... Uh, I like a big popcorny action movie right. as much, but mm-hmm. I'm just like, I just feel like stop just stop with this superhero like all it's like you can go to one of those multiplexes and not one of them is an original film yeah that's that's a big uh that, that's a that's a cancer but i think it'll <laughs> <laughs> it, it is like this i this. feel like it will people will be like all right already like enough well that's what i thought about uh i'll say this and then i, I wanted to speak to 3d again um i thought that about transformers 2 i thought like because this is a good, an example of how far I am from like an actual movie watching audience is I thought, you know, people are tired of this. You know, they saw the first one. What more? Nothing new is happening with the second one. They're not going to see it. What do they hope to get out of it? And then, of course, it like broke records for the year. And I'm like, <sighs> OK, I guess I'm wrong. And then Transformers 3, I started thinking like I, I, I my instinct was like, People won't see this, right? Like, they will have grown tired of it, right? And that I realize that I'm adopting a very superior attitude in saying that. But, like, right? I like, don't can't they su- not see it? I don't know if it's superior. I mean, it's... I know intelligent people who, like, went and saw Sucker Punch, and then they're like, oh, I can't believe... They're like, oh, it was terrible. I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> you didn't see that coming? Yeah, oh, that, like, David, that's one of your old points uh, for a long time, which is... Like people will complain about these movies being made, but they still give the movie money. Yeah, the 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 nerd community is, uh, which of which we are a part. At least mm-hmm. Tyler and I um, are a part. Um, You'll get there someday, buddy. Is, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> is part of the problem in a lot of ways because we'll complain at length about how awful Daredevil was, but y'all went and saw Daredevil because it was aimed right at you, mm. and you were going to see it anyway because you. Ha- if you're a part of this community, you have to have seen it and have an opinion on it, which I'm. Uh, I I pride myself on being okay with not having to have an opinion on everything. I d- yeah, I, I don't very, feel like I have to see yeah everything. Uh, Let me ask you this: what's you can chime in as well if you like. Sucker Punch is playing at the little three dollar theater right over here. Uh huh. Friend of the show, Jason Eakin, and I were talking last night about like. I have no expect. I I am interested in the train wreck element. For three dollars, I might do it. I'm still giving the movie money. It's a second run theater. Is that an okay thing? What about wait till you're sick and watch it on the couch when it's on HBO? There you go. Well, it is a big movie, and I feel like yeah. I would want to see it on a slightly larger screen. But you know what I watched when I was homesick on What's HBO? That? Uh, which I will stand by as saying is one of the worst movies that I have seen in my life. Okay. Zack Snyder's 300. And I and I I say I had to stand by that because I know there are people who listen to the show, people who care about movies, who are smart about movies, who generally have good taste, who will defend 300, and I don't get it. It is at least one of the worst movies of the past 10 years, if not one of the worst movies in my lifetime. <laughs> and it's interesting because I I don't like the movie. There's a lot I don't like. There's a couple performances here and there I enjoy, and I appreciate his commitment to creating the world. But he didn't create the world. It's his commitment to 
translating Frank Miller's world yes. onto film. Which goes back to my point, which is the last word you should ever use for Zack Snyder is visionary. Because <laughs> he just uh, piggybacks on other people. But I that, like, Because Warner Brothers attached him with that term visionary when uh, during the ad campaign for Watchmen. Right. And now it's become a thing. Like People just refer to him as a visionary. And I feel like... I don't know if they're joking or not sometimes. Yeah. I'm joking when I say it. <laughs> Which you say, you say it a lot. I try to work it in. But, Vis- uh, visionary director Zack Snyder. But Sucker Punch is an original, cre- well, maybe originals. It's not based on anything well, no, else. I said before. She's hot. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I still haven't seen it. Um, and, you know, reviews are not promising. But before it came out, I think I said, maybe on this podcast, if not at least on Twitter, that... There is a ten percent chance that this movie could be amazing mm-hmm. because it could be <laughs> because this guy has gotten enough uh, credibility to not have a lot of restrictions placed on him, and it seems to be a clear window into his id. And it could be yeah. just like his pure weirdness splashed, splashed across the screen, and could be some sort of almost like outsider art, <laughs> like uh, just the uh, just the, a glimpse into this crazy person's mind mm-hmm. but uh it sounds like i'm wrong I, it sounds like it didn't happen it went, it went the other 90 percent way oh there's probably still plenty of id splattered all over the screen <laughs> it's, it's just, just interesting <laughs> right right again i haven't seen the movie okay i'm, right. I'm basing that on other people's reviews i, always, I feel like i, I, I that. hadn't seen it either yeah i don't think i ever will yeah did you see 300 no okay all right did oh. you see Watchmen? no did you see the new dawn of the dead the, his remake, like, which that's what, the, 2004. I, yeah, I think I did. Okay. That's the only good film he's made, and that's a really good film. You liked oh, Watchmen, Oh, I did see though. that, yeah. Watchmen is better than I expected it to be. It's like um baseball metaphor, because I know uh, <laughs> Dwyer here. All right, I'm going ch- to check out. Watchmen is essentially like a hard line drive, but it went foul right from the get-go. It's like if he could have straightened things out, it would have been a great hit. <laughs> Grand Slam. <laughs> right. Yeah. You did you did a physical gag like everybody could see it. Yeah. <laughs> and that was mostly for me. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. Um because I don't like leaving this uh, open, I will say that uh I'm not opposed to the idea of 3D, but I feel like it 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 only works when it helps <laughs> to envelop an audience in a in a created world, which might be why th- it works with Thor. It's why I think it worked with Avatar. And as you know, I'm not a fan of that movie. But all the other movies, it's just like, it's like, they're just throwing shit at you. It's like, but the best, like 3D is the, I feel like the only way to really use it effectively as an artistic tool is if you use it to just make somebody feel like they're more involved than they normally would, not just throw stuff at them. I just hope it makes them either re-release or remake Jaws 3D. <laughs> well, everything is like all those uh, classic movies are going to get, if not theatrical 3D re-releases. Now that 3D uh, home home you know televisions and home theater are a thing, you're going to start seeing 3D Blu-rays of pretty much any classic. People movie. really buy those 3D TVs. People are gonna. You I think, think so? Yeah. Um, I see. That seems like uh, you know beta players or something. Like it seems like in 20 years, people are going to be like, "Really, you bought that, huh?" <laughs> you bought a 3D, like, I don't know. I think as the technology gets easier, and I, I have to know some of this stuff because of my day job. Uh, you know, I have to sort of be a part of this world. Um, uh, the technology will become less cumbersome mm-hmm. in the future. 
and it'll seem like less of a commitment to to buy a 3D TV and it'll just sure. be a normal thing. And and also from what I hear, because I haven't really seen it, but um, I think uh, sports are actually going to be a big reason like, <laughs> why people convert to three to 3D. Uh, from people who have watched 3D football and, and, and hockey and stuff, and the, the, they say that, you know, you and I, Matt, actually just before we're talking about the difference between seeing a hockey game live and on the TV, and I think if people can get more of a sense of the depth of the rink or a depth of hmm. the football field. Uh, Doesn't that just seem silly, though? You're at home watching, like, a, a baseball game with your 3D glasses on and, like, ducking. And <laughs> but du- eventually <laughs> it's going to get to the point where you, you, they can do 3D without glasses. I, then I Which definitely don't want a part of it. <laughs> that that does seem a little creepy. There's already the Nintendo 3DS, which is a 3D portable gaming system that doesn't require glasses. How does it work, though? Uh, it has to do with <laughs> the screen is not flat. It's, like, ridged, and so oh. the picture projects in a weird way. So it's almost like a hologram kind of thing. Almost, yeah. Okay. All right. Because, as dumb as this is going to make me sound... Uh, I was just like, when I heard like uh, 3D with no glass, I'm like, well, something's wrong then. Like, they're manipulating me now. Like, they're, <laughs> they're, they're hurting my eyes now. That's, that's the only way, because not, that's not supposed to happen, right? But I guess if they, I don't know, I guess if, they, uh, if it's like a hologram, that's all right, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but no, we have to wrap up soon, because we've been going more than an hour. But I wanted, did you see Avatar, Matt? No. Okay. Well, I wanted to get I, your I, I, uh, So what have you seen in the theater in 3D? Anything? I mean, Jaws, honestly, the last thing was Jaws. I think Jaws 3D. Lugas Jr. coming off the screen. I mean, <laughs> I don't see how you can argue with that. I, I, I have a real uh, maybe arrogance about I've refused to see, though. I don't know why. I'm just like, no. Because mm-hmm. I feel like in a lot of ways that it's just it's a... I mean, like, yes, like you were saying, like, if it's used properly, yeah. But I think for the most part, it's just, it's a, abuse and, like, nobody, mm-hmm. t- there's no story anymore. Not to sound like some old, like, bah, there's no, but it's like, you go, yeah. s- sometimes I see these movies, I'm like, what the fuck just happened? And people are like, special effects were great. And I'm like, so? Like, like I mean, like, an example of a movie that I thought was, like, a big blockbuster, who do we do that? I hate Star Trek. I really liked that last Star Trek movie. Oh, yeah. And I never gave a fuck about Star Trek. And I watched that and I was like, wow, I totally got lost in this. Yeah. Like uh, the fact that they were on a physical set and they were invested in like creating characters. Like it, I was, it was yeah. a surprisingly entertaining film. It was really well done. And I was like, like, yeah, I'd see that again or the next one. And that's the, and that. So are you, um, go ahead. Are you looking forward to Super 8 then? Or like, are you on the J.J. Abrams bandwagon now? Because <laughs> I am actually. It's very excited about Super 8. I love Mission Impossible 3, so I feel, oh, I feel like yeah. he's a very good filmmaker. Yeah, I'll go see it. Did you see Mission Impossible 3? I probably. They kind of blur together in my... That one's, the, that one's the best of the series, mm-hmm. I think. Those are like... one. Uh, yeah, I, I probably have. I'd like If you asked me what it was about, I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> Tom Cruise you, chased some shit. Do you remember that, Philip Seymour Hoffman being in it? Yes. Okay, yeah. then you saw it. As far as what Mission Impossible 3 is about, it's almost like... It's sort of the exception of the rule you were saying because the the plot of Mission Impossible Three is not really important. It's it's kind of like a Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of like thing after thing happens, right? But like 
even the thing that what's it called the rabbit's is it the rabbit's, rabbit's foot? foot is the name of the thing they're trying to get i don't think we actually know what it does the entire movie. yeah it's a total MacGuffin. it means nothing yeah they, they never say why people are looking for the rabbit's foot or what it does yeah uh so do you like raiders of the lost ark oh god yeah yeah so I, you're not I, i'd put mission impossible 3 in that category if not necessarily on that level mm-hmm. but not too far it's a, it's a good movie yeah i um uh, in this uh <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I own the movie Eagle Eye, and uh, I was watching it, DJ and I love that movie. DJ Caruso, I love that movie. What did he make recently? Just he made something recently that I, I seem to recall was not that good, but I don't remember what it was. <coughs> I don't remember what it was, but I liked uh, Disturbia. Yeah, it was sort of like uh, uh, I, I guess a riff on uh, Rear Window with yeah. Shia LaBeouf and the great David Morse. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, Speaking of David Morris, another one of the movies that I uh, watched when I was sick and thought was going to be terrible and was kind of wrong about was 16 Blocks. Which we talked about. I think you liked it more than I did, but it's a lot better than it seems. It's kind of like a 70s shaggy dog cop thriller movie. It's Richard Donner, right? Is it? I think so. I knew that. I I was delirious and half sick when I watched it. Or no, maybe I was sick and half delirious. I once, years ago, uh, was sick and, like, really sick, like, really doped up on cold medicine. And so my mom was going to go to the video store for me. And she said, what can I get for you? And I, because I'm an idiot, I said, could you get Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas for me? (laughs) And I had seen the movie before. I knew what it was. Why did I want to watch that? And uh, I watched it doped up on cold medicine. I was like, oh, this was a mistake. I always feel like it's a mistake when I watch Should've that movie. Should have got the Buffalo Room. <laughs> I've seen it. I enjoy it a great deal. Peter Do Boyle. Do you like It's Unloathing? You know, that's one where I watched, tried to watch recently and I couldn't. Like, when I came out, I was like, yeah. And then I tried to watch it recently. I was like, no. I feel like I'm going to be quoting, uh, or at least I'm ripping off uh, Nathan Rabin, who wrote about Fear and Loathing just recently on the Onion AV Club as part of his, like, My Year of Flops. Thing oh, I, he, should, I should read that. Uh, and he sort of arrived at the same conclusion I did that like fear and loathing is a, a fully realized achievement and I'm very proud of Terry Gilliam for what he did but I don't really need to watch it anymore oh yeah it's really unpleasant to watch but it is fully realized oh yeah it is exactly what he set out to make and I and once is enough like somebody whose goal it is to work at a gas station yeah <laughs> sort of like if you, if you have you ever read the book American Psycho it, it's it's the same thing like Brady Stanella set out to create a very specific thing, and he did a very good job of making that thing, and I don't ever want to read it again. All right. Have you have you read it? I haven't. The movie's... Uh, I don't know if the movie's... It might be wrong to say the movie's better than the book, but it's certainly more enjoyable and a better piece of drama than the book. The book isn't really a story. It's yeah. like a a list of horrible, horrible things <laughs> that goes on for close to 500 pages. Oh, good. Um, so, yeah, we do need to we do need to wrap up. Uh, are there any... Uh, let me ask you this. Are there any movies that you're looking forward to this summer? It's the uh, beginning of summer now. By this point, Thor will have it's been out for a, a while. It's going to be a total disappointment, but I'm, I'm looking forward to Woody Allen's new movie, um, which is May 20th. Oh, it's... I can't remember what it's called. Uh, Midnight in Paris. Midnight in Paris, mm-hmm. yes. And Terrence Malick's got a movie coming out this Tree month. Tree of Life, yeah. That, yeah. I'm, that, 
that's uh, all for right now. <laughs> right. Well, you know what's kind of the one. Um, I'm a little. I was trying to think of what is I, the only thing that could pop in my head was Green Lantern, which I don't want to see. Yeah, me either. I'm and actually I, I, kind I know of intrigued very by it. I, I loved the little pimp they did with at the at Comic Con with the little kid. Did you see that clip on that was all over? I've the seen internet? the clip. Yeah, that's such bullshit. It's good though. It, what that is was this? totally was a setup <laughs> though. Oh yeah. It's like what? I was at Comic Con. I don't. Some is little kid asked asked. Like asks, uh, what's his balls, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, Reynolds for for uh, like to recite the oath. Oh right, yeah. I, did I was like, this yeah. is. I just fuck all. I wanted to kidnap that kid and murder him. <laughs> <laughs> you should have done it, or stabbed him with a pen, or whatever the hell happened. Google in that his one name. Panel. Let's find this fucker. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's coming out this summer? Uh, you know, I get I get down on big movie franchises, but the one franchise that I completely believe in that's going on right now, and I'm very excited for the finale of, is Harry Potter. Yeah, I love those movies. Let's the, see that. The oh, final one is coming out. For big fluffy fluff, I'd see Cowboys and Aliens. Oh, yeah. yeah. And not to out uh, name drop my Robert Altman thing, Favreau and I used to wash dishes together in Chicago. <laughs> really? <laughs> and what, uh, what At Second City when Second we were, when, before we were actors. And Talk uh, about Comic-Con. John Favreau is a guy who loves and believes in Comic-Con, and, and the Cowboys and Aliens panel, which I did attend last year, was a blast. He's a yeah. If I would have, if I could have foreseen what would have happened, I would have stayed friends with him. <laughs> Somewhere he and Hal Sparks are just laughing and laughing. <laughs> on that note, you can find us at battleshippretension.com. You can find us on iTunes. You can email us, David at battleshippretension.com or Tyler at battleshippretension.com. I'm on Twitter at the Pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at More Lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at morethanonelesson.com. And my other podcast is the weekly television review show previously on which you can find it previously on show.com and also don't forget about battleship pretension live which is happening june 4th at 8 p.m at meltdown comics that's at uh, 7522 sunset boulevard uh, it'll be david and i um friend of the show jason eakin the performers will be kyle Kinane, mike schmidt josh fadum and of course uh, matt dwyer and uh, the venue is under new management, so there are a couple changes. Uh, it will It is now $10, and it is BYOB, so there will be no free beer there. So uh, it'll be a lot of fun, so uh, please join us. Matt, uh, where can people find it'll you be on a lot the internet? Of, uh, Matt underscore Dwyer at uh, Twitter or Facebook. I don't Tumblr. I got a Tumblr, but I usually just post the songs that I wake up uh, in the morning with in my head, <laughs> which this morning was uh, a kink song. Hmm. Ah. So. And there and there are various clips of your uh, stand up and uh, little uh, films that you made. Uh, yeah. Matt Dwyer, male feminist. Uh, that was a, yeah. Made me chuckle. And is 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 Matt's radio? Uh, uh, I think we stopped. Bronger point? and I stopped doing that. Yeah. We got real busy. I was. We both were on the road a lot, and I, I was actually writing for uh, David Keckner for a while, mm-hmm. and then uh, we just were exhausted because we'd be flying the town and do it, and we were like, nope, no more. Actually, podcasting yeah, you were, is you a were tough business. You were mentioned on Guys with Feelings, and David. Really? David Heckner was on Guys with Feelings just a couple weeks ago. What did he say? And mentioned that he took you on tour. Oh, yeah. And that he said that he has to go on tour again without taking anyone because he didn't make any money because he <laughs> no, took... he didn't. <laughs> he was like, you're making more money than me. I was like, I'm fine with this. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, check out Guys with Feelings then. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for listening. And we'll get you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.